Good morning, Mimosas, and thank you for selecting the Good Mornings Mimosas podcast. It is meant to be your weekly spark of joy. It consists of one part bubbles, a dash of refreshing conversation, and of course, add a little bit of spice. It's a weekly inspiration every Wednesday morning. The podcast will explore different topics on growth, development, connections, and stories that will hopefully inspire you. Feel free, grab your cup of coffee or a mimosa and join us on Wednesdays. Thanks for joining us now to the podcast episode. Good morning and welcome to the Good Morning Mimosa podcast. I am your host, Cheryl Bear. I'm really excited today. I have an amazing guest with us today, Jeff Aiken. He is a 20-year veteran of public and private sectors. He has extensive experience in both media and entertainment, as well as over two decades in management and leadership. Jeff specializes in listening to others, helping them unleash their true potential, and giving feedback that is authentic yet kind. This pro wrestling TV broadcaster turned executive leader is never afraid to get his hands dirty when it comes to improving lives. I'm so excited to welcome Jeff on the podcast today to talk to us about leadership. Good morning. Good morning, Cheryl. How are you? I am fantastic. I'm so excited about this episode. And to kick us off with a little bit of inspiration, would you mind telling us your inspirational quote? I'd be happy to. The proper function of a man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. That's from Neil Peart in his book, Ghostwriter. I love that quote. And um, while everyone is kind of chewing on that one, we have some good content to kind of back up about living and not just existing. So Jeff, would you mind going in a little detail and background about yourself? One of the things I like to introduce myself as is like, I'm actually a working manager. You know, I think when you listen to a lot of podcasts, that someone has their coaching or their consulting and that's great. You know, that's all good stuff, but like, I'm, I'm out there doing the stuff still and I'm um, trying to put my practices and leadership into practice every single, every single day. Um, and I've been doing this, like you said, almost for two decades. I just had my first manager position in the year 2000. Like my manager, my gosh. yeah, my management experience is old enough to like drink and drive and <laughs> serve and do all the great things now. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm not just a manager. You talked about working in pro wrestling and mm-hmm. did that for a really long time up until uh, COVID kind of shut the industry down for a little while. But uh, I did that for almost 20 years and worked in broadcasting. I was a play-by-play person. It was one of the greatest jobs I ever had. I got to travel all over the country, meet amazing heroes or amazing people and work with my heroes growing up, right? Like I have voicemails on my phone from people just, you know, checking in with me or whatever from, from work in there, but, but I watched them on TV growing up. And so I I save those voicemails forever where it's like this eight-year-old boy inside of me is losing his mind. You know, that I've got a voicemail from D'Lo Brown or the grappler. It's the, it's the coolest thing ever. 
Um, and then the other I like to, oh, go, yeah, sorry. Sorry, I am, I think that it, one, I can totally see it. And now I'm like, I need to like, look back on YouTube and find something where you're announcing. So I can be like, I know that guy, man, that is so cool. And I love that you save those voicemails. Yeah. I think that's it's fantastic. Just, it's just so fun. You know, I, I have one where uh, the grappler who I'm up in Portland, Oregon. And so in the Pacific Northwest, our, our wrestling group stuck around a long time. And the grappler was a big mainstay. And I have one where he's just checking in on a project we were working on. And, and then he also says, Hey, you know, Merry Christmas. And I was like, Oh my gosh, the grappler says Merry Christmas to me. And that was like, I don't know, 11 years ago. Still have it. I will never, I will never delete that voicemail. <laughs> I love that. I think we all have those, those little voicemails that we hold on to. And whenever you need to pick me up, you just go back and it just takes you back to that good place. Ah, yeah, that's awesome. It's the best. It's the best. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much me. I think, you know, I, um, I've been, I've worked in the, like you said, the private and public sectors, you know, so I, I work in state government over here and I have a real passion for the public sector because we're able to actually impact people's lives every single day in what we do. But I try really hard to bring a lot of my private sector um, experience and know-how into that arena because I think that where the two generally don't jive a lot of the time is, is there's, there's a lot of business reasons for that. But I think also, as we'll, I think we'll talk about more, is in both sectors, we tend to treat the people we work with differently for different reasons. And I work really hard to eliminate that and um, really do everything I can for the people I work with to let them understand and know that like they, they matter, they belong, they're wanted, um, you know, in, in where we are. And that my job as a manager is to help them be the best that they can be, you know, whether they're opening mail or determining policy or lobbying for legislation, I have to build a platform and environment where like they can rock it every single day. And for some of our mimosas who may be sitting here for the first time thinking like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I would love to work for this guy. How do you start? Like, how do you start kind of that relationship and relating to your subordinates? So I, I'm so glad you asked the question that way, because for me, the way I start is I don't use the word subordinate. I'm just a dude who shows up to work every day to do my job, just like every person that I work with. Um, and I think it's about intentional language in a lot of ways. Like you'll notice as we talk, I'm not going to call the people I work with staff. Um, I'm not going to call them employees. I might say that they're part of my team, right? Or something like that. But I generally call them people. So I think it starts in my head, in my mind, and understanding that just because I have a fancy job title or something doesn't make me any better or more important. In fact, I go so far as to say that because I have a fancy job title, I am less important than anybody I work with. If, if I never showed up to work again, right? Like if I got, if we finish this conversation and I called it my boss and quit my job, everyone's still going to show up to work the stuff we do is still going to happen. My leaders just aren't going to have somebody to fill out all the reports that they need all the time. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's really about kind of making that concept of me being support for them. Like I was saying, in, in an environment creator, making that my job, but understanding that like, I'm just here to make them rock and do nothing for myself. <laughs> I love that you, how you just explained all of that. I, I'm thinking back to when I worked in a nonprofit, different state than I currently live in, but they had a guest speaker for administrative professionals day. 
And the guy came in and he said something similar, which is why I started smiling when you said that he's like, you know, I'm, I'm apparently the, the big guy name on the door, whatever for this job. But my, you know, he had a secretary who sat, you know, outside and greeted everyone, everything. He's like, I can be out of the building anytime. And our, our business is fine. The secretary is there. Like you ask her questions. She knows everything. She knows the schedule. She knows how this place runs. She knows all this. He's like, no one stresses out when I walk out of the building. It doesn't matter. But if she's not there for one day, we're like, wait, where is she? Is she okay? What's happening? You know, full circle there when you said that, but I think that's such a great perspective. And I like about the language, you know, and having being very intentional with language. Hey, mimosas. Want a physical spark of joy or know a mimosa who would love to have some mimosa swag? Check out the mimosa market at thebravebear.com slash mimosa market. We have partnered with American manufacturing companies to bring our in-house designs to life. Each purchase from the mimosa market is helping us grow the Good Morning Mimosa podcast so we can keep sharing sparks of joy. Thank you for shopping at the mimosa market. Cheers, mimosas. It, it really changes, it changes everything, right? And so working, one of the jobs that executive leaders have to do a lot is to determine what's, what's, what's my head count that I need, right? Um, what level, what salary am I going to pay them? All those just kind of the minutia of what an organization's like org chart is going to look like. And that usually means you have to ask somebody, right? You're either going to go to the board or in my case, oftentimes to our state legislature, you know, and say, I need to, I need this many more people to do this thing. But like I just said, I need this many more people. What most people say is, well, you know, in order to accomplish this thing, we're going to need more resources, right? So I think we're going to need to in, increase our resources by 8.3 FTE and, you know, all these jargony terms or whatever, when it's like, actually, I need nine people who make this much money to come and do this thing. And then it's not a conversation that's just this like impersonal like how many computers do you need kind of a thing like we're talking about human beings and people and that just that tone when I can introduce a topic with that tone every person I talk to has to match that tone right because then the person who raises their hand or opens up and says well how many more resources then they're the jerk (laughs) right (laughs) who's just dehumanized everybody and it but it but it it lets you have a more I think a more robust and more compassionate conversation where it's because what we do, what anyone does in any job, it's not just about the, the, the business, right? It's about the people you work with. There's some philosopher who says something about a ship and I like to adapt it. I should know this quote better, right? But I've adapted it in my own way that like without people, all a business is, is a building and some telecom equipment. And it's not until you add people that a business can actually add value in there. So I just really do everything I can to emphasize and prioritize the people I work with. And do you have an example of maybe a past experience where you came in and maybe helped influence or change a culture, or maybe you were maybe not necessarily brought in for that, but you just walked in and you were like, Hey, this is something that needs to change. And you were able to help influence that. Absolutely. So one that comes to mind immediately that I think more people can relate to, I have some that are kind of more policy 
oriented in there, but I think one that I can think of is I did, I came into an organization that handled the mail for a really large company, uh, about a 10,000 employee company. And this was where the mail came. And so they'd open it, scan it, send it out, distribute it, do what they needed to do with it. There were about 150 people that worked there and they failed every single day to get all the mail processed. So they were going and making those resource asks, right? For more headcount. And that's a key thing because they would use that term resource. But I came in and just, just kind of looked at what was going on. And I told the managers that were kind of running, running the day-to-day in there who were involved in the work, right? They were going out and telling people what they needed to do and how they needed to do it and when they needed to do it. And that doesn't sound foreign, right? That's a lot of supervisors out there. That's kind of the job. But I told them no more. Your job now is only to talk to and connect and add value to the people that you work with. I want you to get out of the workflows. I want you to just help these people feel like they matter, they belong, they can influence their work, empower and enable them to do, you know, the the stuff that they know how to do the job, right? Like, what are you doing? In eight months time, we were able to, through attrition, reduce our head count down to 78 people. I think it was 78 people and meet every single timeline that we had, every service level agreement. So we basically cut ourselves in half, exceeded our expectations. And the only change we made, like we didn't, I mean, we, we did some process stuff. We, I'm a, I'm a lean practitioner and I'm studying to be my green, a green belt and six Sigma. And that's mostly just cause I'm a nerd and I love that stuff. Oh but, my gosh, me too. <laughs> yeah, so, I was like, Jeff, <laughs> yeah. we got that too. But so we, we did some of that stuff, right? But I, I think we'll go lean here for a minute. And you've got your, you know, your eight deadly wastes and downtime there. And to me, the cardinal waste is non-utilized talent. And I think that's the biggest waste because it's wasting people. And so we stopped wasting people. And all of a sudden we were able to do our job so much better than, than we were. And I think what's funny to me about that story is I think a lot of people step into situations like that, an impossible situation. You know, you're not getting more headcount. You have to fix this and, and they can't do it. And they're like, it's so hard. Oh, it's so much. No, dude, it, it's the easiest thing in the world. Just go, just go make people feel like they matter. And then you'll be amazed at the incredible things that, that will happen. So what were you able to do or help share with the managers or with the individual team members on the lower level? Like what practical everyday steps did you take to kind of help change that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so fantastic because it's so that I did, I think I did a couple of things and I'll highlight two of them. One at a kind of higher macro level is I understood that I was asking these managers to do things they weren't necessarily trained to do, right? They were trained to run reports and go hold people accountable to their numbers and, you know, to do that kind of stuff. I wanted them to have these real soft skills, you know, around compassion and empathy and action-based value-added questions, And so I told them that every week I want them to take one hour minimum and get out of the office. This was pre pre COVID, right? When we, we all came together I want them to leave the office. And that might mean just sitting in your car, right? But just don't be in the office. And I want you to take an hour and read a book, 
or listen to a TED talk or listen to a podcast or something to feed your professional development. And then every six weeks, we're going to get together as a group and we're going to share a little bit about what we've learned in our at least six hours in, in that kind of time frame. So it did two things. One, it allowed us all to benefit from everyone else's learning. But secondly, it was kind of a form of accountability and that I was investing time in into these people. And this was like, yeah, you got to you got to show me what you did with that time. And so that kind of helped build the skills. But the other thing I did, and this was, I think this is where the magic happened, was I gave them two sets of very clear instructions. One was to not be involved in any work process. Anytime someone's bringing work to you and either asking you for an approval or asking you what they should do or getting advice on a procedure step or something, you need to redirect them to one of their peers on there. It's not your job. That's the team's job. They understand the work better than you do. So that's clear instruction number one. Clear instruction number two is that your priority is to have regular one-on-one conversations with every person you work with, and those have to add value in there. And so it can't be that one-on-one that a lot of us have, right? This might sound familiar. When you sit down with your boss and they're like, so how are things going? Great. Do you need anything from me? All right. We'll see you later. <laughs> this Please, has to be. I'm, I'm like literally sitting here laughing because I'm like, oh my, yep. I have uh, seen and felt that before. Yeah. So I, I so, in, and we give them tools, right? To do that and to ask questions, you know, you come in and you can start with how are things going? You can start there. But as soon as they say, oh, things are fine, you can be like, okay, well, hey, I observed, right? Because you're out there, you're, I'll go lean here again. You're on the Gemba. You're observing the things that are happening in the place that the work is happening. You're like, hey, well, I observed you working with this person on a thing. Can you tell me more about how that worked? Right. And so we really just worked on kind of funnel questions, you know, start up with something really big and general, pick up on a piece and ask a more specific question that leads to a more specific question. And that's really what we did. And then, and I think the, the other piece at a macro level, I said two and here I'm going with three, <laughs> but I think on the, uh, the other piece was, was, was that overall macro and the whole place of everything. I told them it was okay to fail. Right. Like, and that sounds so simple in there, but there was an exercise that we did. I think, you know, when we talk about management, we always have to go to the foundation or the matrix or the rule or the exercise. It's always something like that, but that's because they work. And so we did this exercise where as a leadership team, the managers and kind of the the subject matter experts we had that, that were, that work on the, on the floor, we brought them together and we came up with an exhaustive list of all of the tasks we're responsible for. And then we categorize them as either critical, urgent, or routine. And critical being like, people are going to die if this doesn't happen. Like, we need to now. Urgent being like, you know, I need to respond to this within the next day. You know, maybe two days. Like, it's it's an important thing. It's got time. And then routine is just that stuff all the time. And we found in our world that nothing was critical at all. And we even like tried to come up with stuff. Well, what if somebody... What if somebody has a heart attack on the, you know, when they're working? Well, that had happened before and their peers called 911 and they got taken care of. And yeah, after the fact, we had to fill out some paperwork and stuff, you know, and they were okay. End of the story. They, they were fine. That's not critical. It's taken care. What if the building burns down? Well, it was a fire department. We're fine. You know, nothing we have to do. But once, once we were able to determine that, then it was just like, well, yeah, we can screw up. 
it's fine. We can go, I mean, we need to have the ability to know we did and go back and fix it and that kind of thing. But just remove that pressure of everything being critical all the time. That was really transformative for us. Hey, Mimosas, consider supporting the podcast by becoming a Mimosa member through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Mimosas. Every Mimosa member will get ad-free episodes. You no longer have to hear ads like this. In addition, depending on the level that works best for you, you can get 10% off of all Mimosa merch in the Mimosa market all day, every day. Bonus content, sneak peeks at upcoming episodes and events coming down the pipeline, episode resources, and so much more. Thank you for considering supporting the podcast through a Mimosa membership. Cheers. I, one, love all of your suggestions, but sitting here, you know, processing it, I think it was setting yourself up for success episode I did in season one. I talked about something I do personally and you talking about, hey, taking that hour to get out of the office and do something that's for your own personal slash professional development one, I think that's a fantastic idea. And I think what, you know, even what I talked about there, I have historically, I set an hour for something for myself to develop, you know, as a professional, but then I take an hour to just think it's amazing. If you just give yourself kind of the grace and the time, what you'll see, you'll be like, Hey, you know, when I stopped and thought about this, because you're talking about like, you know, the people that the team that's in the everyday realm and in the everyday work, if they stop, they know that process better than anyone. They may have the best solution of anyone to make it better or more efficient or whatever. So I think that is such a great practical piece of advice. And yeah, that pressure, you know, being critical, I was sitting here thinking, I was like, oh, having a few flashbacks there. And I was like, oh, I remember being asked that question, like, so how's it going? Um, I think being intentional and not intentional with your conversations with your team, with your people and having those moments where, Hey, we made a mistake and circling back with the positivity that came out of it, you know, like, Hey, yes, let's acknowledge this. Let's fix it. But here's maybe the great thing that comes out of it. Hey, we reworked this pipeline or this system, or we were able to, you know, reduce hours on the, or whatever, you know, the situation may be. Um, but I think that is so key because there's definitely been times I, you know, as I've been sitting here thinking of all the jobs that I've had where that pressure of everything being critical, like you have to, like, if someone calls your phone, you have to answer it immediately, like within three rings or someone sent you an email, you have to respond within an hour or two hours or, you know, a day, you know, just all these little things that go along with working besides the actual big thing you're trying to accomplish and like move the ball down the, down the field with, you know, and all those little things stop you from moving the ball down the field. In fact, they often roll the ball the other direction in there. Yeah. And, and there's no, and there's no like kind of credit or acknowledgement of like, okay, well, why didn't you get this done? Well, I was answering the phone. I was doing emails. Okay. But that's not the priority. But then at the same time, if you don't do it, then it's like, well, why wasn't that, you know? So I think having that clarity, you know, you mentioned yeah. that clarity is, is key. I know we touched on it a little bit in season one, but it's amazing when you clearly define Hey, this is what's important and what isn't, how much will do for your employees, like, like their soul, their well-being, you know, their, yeah. their, their whole well, attitude. It, 
it really helps you know, it helps you say no, or, or yes. helps you know what to say yes to. I think it was uh, Darren Hardy. He's, uh, he's an author um, who said that the, the singular trait that separates the wildly successful from just the regularly successful is their ability to say no. And they, because they know what they're focused on and they will only say yes to the things that feed that thing they're focused on. And so by going through and being intentional, and knowing your tasks, where they land and that kind of critical, urgent, routine rating. And then knowing just what your what is the ball that I'm moving down the field and what is the field in which I am moving it? If you can answer those questions, right? And the, here's the thing. I think I'm going to guess that most people can't actually answer that question, right? Where they're like, what do you I do? I literally well, going to say that. Yeah, yeah. I answer the phone. I respond to these. I write letters. Well, why do you write those letters? Well, because my boss tells me to. Well, actually, your boss tells you to because they are doing this thing that, you know, I, yeah, it's just understanding that that mission, that purpose of whatever organization you're working for, and then where your tasks land, it just relieves so much pressure. And then you can show up to work and not be stressed about your 3000 unread emails, you know, in there that because here's the thing we all know, also I have 3000 unread emails, eight of them actually matter. But I have to sift through all 3000 to get to those I actually, and I don't necessarily recommend this to everybody. This is pretty gutsy. But I have a I have a, a person who works as a lobbyist. So they help champion legislation um, that needs to happen. And they were just they took some time off. And that was a big deal for them because, you know, they, they had that mindset where they, they I can never take time off. And so they took almost a month off. It's great. And they came back to a little over 4000 emails in their inbox. And they were freaking out. And I said, here's what I want you to do. Take everything older than a week, select all, delete, just delete them. Because here's the thing. If they actually matter, if someone's actually depending on you for something, they'll ping you again. Like, it's fine. And then you don't have to sift through all that. So they, they, they couldn't bring them themselves to do it, but they did highlight all of them and drag them into a folder. So they got out of the way and they never went back to them. And it's weird. That was like almost a year ago and nothing bad came out of that. Like, we're all fine. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that because I could just envision mimosas listening and like, heart sinking, throwing up a little bit of like, what you're going to delete how many, like what, but you know, it's true. The, the important things they'll let you know. Yeah. I mean, they'll be real. They'll be, you know, I don't want to say, you know, harping on you, but they'll be a little bit relentless maybe Mm -hmm. about their approach because they need to get, you know, whatever. And I think too, you know, I think too, it's, it's about knowing the people you're communicating with, you know, and, and building meaningful relationships and connections with them. So I, I made a decision, I don't know, I, I don't remember how long ago, time, time is different nowadays, right? So <laughs> I think it was recently, but it might have been a year ago. But I made this change where I only open my email four times a day. And I'm, and I have it closed. I literally have turned off all the notifications for my email. I open it four times. I keep it closed when I'm not in it. But what I did is for my regular people I communicate with before I made this change, I sent them a note and I said, I'm doing this and I'm doing it for this reason, right? I'm doing it because when I'm in a meeting, I want to be focused on the people I'm in the meeting with. I don't want to be distracted. I also want to give, basically it's that I want to be focused on the thing that's in front of me at the time. So I said, I'm going to be checking this stuff four times a day, which means I might be a couple of days out responding to you on things. If you need something from me, you can IM me, 
call me or text me. Like those things are immediate pieces. And also just text me, don't call me. It's 2022. Why are you calling me for goodness sake? <laughs> <laughs> the phone is the worst app on my phone, right? Oh so my I gosh, just, yes. <laughs> just text me. And, uh, but, but yeah, so I, I tell them that and like people, there was an adjustment, you know, or a couple, oh yeah, I sent you this email two days ago. And I'm like, yeah, and I told you to IM me you know, come on, but, but it's, it's fine. It works. And now I can be more present in my meetings. I can actually, when I am working on that report that my, you know, leaders need, I can actually focus on that report because you don't have that ding, right? Ding, 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 that just never stops. And I think I've said it already once, but it just bears repeating that most of those dings, most of those little numbers that show up on your app, most of them aren't important or don't require your attention. You know, it's just, oh gosh, just the amount of pressure and stress that we spend on things that do nothing for us, but cause pressure and stress. Like it's pretty mind blowing when you really spend a little time thinking about it. Emails kind of remind me of a cousin of group text, you know, when you're on a group text and there are some, like, it can be great if like, when used occasionally like, Hey, everyone gets on a roll and there are some good gifts and jokes and memes going on, but there is nothing that has wounded my soul more at work than when you all have your work phones and there's a group work text that everyone is on. And then you just sit there and next thing you know, you have like 87 text messages and it's like, pointless. It's like someone laughing at a comment or liking something. Someone's I'm like, why? Why well, to me? Here's that- why this is a yeah. thing. Oh, Cheryl, you really hit on it. This is a big thing that happens because when we're at work and we don't have clarity in what our job is, what our role is, what ball we're rolling down the field, we are constantly trying to show everyone that we're important and that we belong here And the way we know yes. how to do that. Yep. Is to chime in on a conversation there's a Jack Nicholson movie uh, from a while ago called As Good As It Gets, right? You might remember it. He is pretty, pretty fun. And he's losing his mind. He's in love with Helen Hunt and she's stuck, whatever. And Greg Kinnear is with him trying to calm him down. And, and Jack Nicholson's losing his mind. And he says, I'm drowning here, man. And you're just describing the water. And so I, that's a, a phrase I'll use a lot. Like when you're talking about it, when you're chiming in on a conversation, are you adding value? Are you answering a question or are you just describing the water? And if you're just going to be describing the water, don't respond. <laughs> <Stop>. Yeah. <laughs> no. And I think that's, it's like, whew, that is so on point. I mean, I think that's such a great point for leaders, especially if you're in charge of a team to really keep in mind, do you want your people constantly telling you do nothing information just to see, okay, they're on their laptop, they're on their computer. Or do you want them getting the productive things yeah. done? You know, which I mean, sometimes you have to interact together to get things done, but the majority of time that person has their own job to do and their own part to do it. That doesn't involve you. Yeah. And I think you, if you start from a place and this, this sounds so simple, but it, it, most people don't do it. But if you start from a place where you believe that the people you work with want to do a good job, right? Like th- th- then that changes the ball game. Cause then it's like, yeah, they're, they're good. I had this terrible boss and I think that we can learn so much from terrible bosses. I'm thankful for them. Right. Yeah. I've, yeah. I, 
I've worked for so many people and I was actually having this conversation with someone the other day. Um, I think it was my mother-in-law and I was telling her, I was like, you know, it's kind of like when you get compliments, same way. I always learn more from bad bosses sometimes than I do from good ones because the good ones, I appreciate them. I love working for them. I'm like, love my job, but a lot of the small things they do, I feel like I almost take for granted and I just chalk it off. It's like, oh, I love my job, but employees always love their job or else they wouldn't have tried to get that job, you know, or right. they like something about it, you know? Yeah. And I think, so I had this terrible boss and she, uh, we had a, we had a one-on-one -on -one and she had a printed out my calendar. So my job at the time, I was a project manager and I managed this really large grant and my, my day-to-day -day was interacting with uh, stakeholders, right? So just different interest groups and labor unions and things that were influencing policy ton of time on the phone. Right. And then, and, and stuff like that. So she, she has a printout of my calendar and then she printed out someone else's calendar who she also managed, but I don't know what they did, but they didn't manage a grant and they weren't steering public policy. And she's like, how come your calendar looks like this? I didn't have a lot on it. How come your calendar and theirs looks like this? I mean, what are you, what are you doing with your time? You know what? And like, she was just grilling me on like, how long do I sit at my desk and these things? And so finally I asked her, I just said, I'm like, look, is it more important to you that I'm sitting at my desk for 40 hours a week? Or is it more important to you that I'm achieving my deliverables on time, budget and schedule? What's more important to you? Oh, I want you to, to do your deliverables. I'm like, cool. Then leave me alone and let me do them. Like, do you have a problem with them? Am I doing something wrong? No, no, everything's great. Oh, so you're just upset because you can't, visibly see all my activity on my calendar. Why don't you try, here's a wild idea. Why don't you try trusting me, right? And then you can see the proof in the pudding because you see my deliverables and it's, yeah. And, and giving and giving team the benefit of the doubt. There is, I, I um, had a situation where that trust wasn't there and it wasn't like with one person, it was like a blanket, the whole team, the whole, whole lot of well, us. Because I think, I think a lot of managers come from a place where they believe that if they're not there, no one's going to show up to work. It's just going to be pandemonium, right? It's Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's going to be blood on the walls and just everyone's going to be drinking. It's going to be wild. Right. And it's like, actually, if you're not there, people will just have a good time and probably do a really good job um, with the stuff and they're asked to do. Honestly, in some cases do better. Yeah. I, I mean, I know for me before the pandemic, you know, we had a, a, an office space, my office that I was in, it didn't have any windows and it was literally as close to being on the inside without doing anything criminal to cause it. Like, and I mean, I did everything I could. I tried to make my office, you know, as happy and positive as I could make it, but there was something about it. And it was one of those things where, you know, if the hires were in the building, they wanted to see you at your desk and they wanted to see you doing your work. And then for me, the pandemic was an amazing thing. It helped me so much when I sat there and worked from home and I worked from like my countertop and looked at, you know, from our, our view, we lived in a uh, high rise type apartment complex, but we could see old city, Philadelphia and New Jersey, which not uh, the most yeah. glamorous, yeah, you know, the color, <laughs> but Hey, it was still, it was a cool, it's one of those views that you're like, Oh, I'll never have this again. Kind of thing. And, you know, I sat there and I got to do it. I was so efficient yep. because I was in a happy place. I didn't, uh, even though, I mean, 
our apartment space is 856 square feet because it's Philadelphia. And <laughs> I was in it for 13 weeks uh, before I went outside. So you may think, oh my gosh, it's so great. To me, it was so much more stress relieving than the, you know, cement walls yeah. without windows and the expectation of like, I need to see what you're doing, where I'm going to create amazing programs or whatever, you know, the task is it's like, tell me what you want me to do. I'm going to do that. Then I'm going to have yeah. a meeting with myself and think about what our goals are as an organization and maybe come up with some ideas and throw them up your way of like, Hey, what if we try this? And then I'm going to create new stuff because now I feel like I have the freedom to do it. And it's amazing. Like if that trust isn't there, yeah, the, the tone it does for a whole team. Yeah. And it's huge talking of teams and kind of understanding each other, would you be able to talk to us a little bit about creating pipelines and understanding team members for whatever reason that may be different and managers might need to shift their way? So I kind of mentioned when we started talking about how important it is to me that people that come to work know that they belong, that they're included. That, and I think it just really simply that they're, they're wanted, right? Like I want you to be here. I, I think a lot of people can imagine, but I just imagine being in a relationship or a place where you, people don't want you to be there. How horrible is that? Right? Yeah. Oh, and I have experienced that. So of course, I think everyone has at some point. I, yes. Yeah, I, right. I was thinking the same thing. It was like, no, like, I don't think we can envision it. We can just like close our eyes yeah. and go back in time. And, and yeah, I think, place to be and I think, and I think as leaders, like it's incumbent on us to, to combat that. Right. I mean, like, why would I want people here that I don't want to be here, you know? And so when I, I started managing the, the program I was talking about earlier, where we're responsible for the, the company's mail, we, we had a couple of employees who have intellectual developmental disabilities that, that worked there. And they, the prior leadership was treating, treated them horribly. Um, they were forced to work a different schedule than everyone else. They had a set break in meal times for, for working, whereas other people weren't as micromanaged. They were still very micromanaged, but not nearly as much. I didn't realize it until I met uh, these people that I have a real passion for making people feel they belong and, and are integrated in there. And so I worked with those that group of people that were there to help them just be a part of the team and integrate and, and, and kind of realize that a passion for it. And I think I also really realized that when we talk about diversity in the workplace, I think that we stop at diversity in, in that like, oh, well, I, have, I have people with this background and from this ethnicity and my percentages look like this. So check the box, mission accomplished, we're diverse. I saw in real life how that wasn't true. And actually it was really harmful to people. And so I started focusing on our workplace. How can I make our workplace it kind of alphabetically, right? We talk about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think it's done alphabetically on purpose. It's not done on purpose, but I like to think it is because it's a progression. <laughs> you start with the diversity, then you build and, and, and then you have an equitable environment in which people can feel included. And so what I had to do though, I realized real fast was I had to make sure that my teams and all the people that I worked with understood what I was doing, why I was doing it and how they could be a part of that. So 
I think people in society, when we think of people with intellectual or developmental disabilities, IDD, uh, as they call it, we think of them as being different and that we have to treat them with kid gloves or not ask certain questions or, or, or the, what I think is worse, that we assume what they are and are not capable of doing. And then we make decisions based on our assumptions in there. So I had to change that thinking. And I did a couple of things to do that. And the first thing I did was for everyone on the team, we brought in trainers to talk about things like person first language that we use. And so person first language is exactly what it sounds like. You start with the person first. It's not that that person, it's, I can't even say it wrong. It's not that they are wheelchair bound, right? It's that person uses a wheelchair. It's not that they're autistic. It's that that person has autism. And oh my gosh. I'm sorry. You're sitting here. And I was like sitting here thinking the exact same thing. So once upon a time when I was in college <clears throat> several years ago, I graduated and I was supposed to be a special education teacher. And, and I imagine I was uh, talking to this one lady who's named Darby. I don't even know why I remember that name, but anyways, she was at Starbucks and she was very frustrated about an interaction that her child recently had and, and dropped him off. And he was a child with autism. And I said it like that. And she's like, what did you just say? And I was like, oh, your son, you know, I can't remember his name. We'll say Austin, Austin, you know, with autism. And she's like, you know, everyone always tells me like, oh, this autistic child, oh, this whatever child. And it's like a label before the person. And she's like, you're one of the only people who has said this person with that, like, you know, yeah. it's kind of like I'm Cheryl wearing a green sweater. I'm not a green sweater wearing Cheryl, you know, it yeah. makes a difference and the language makes a huge difference. Big time. And, and I think even I want to, I want to like riff on that for a second, because there was a time where you would be known as a married woman first, yes. right? Yeah. Was, oh, she's, yes. a, yeah, Cheryl, yeah, she's a married woman, right? Like that's a thing. And it's like, no, I'm Cheryl. I wear a green sweatshirt and I'm married. Like, those <laughs> yes. are some things about me, you know? And, but, but, but I think there's also freedom in there. There's this really incredible woman named Bev Harp, the university of Kentucky, and she does great talks and she's got some stuff she's written. I've had the opportunity to hear her speak a couple of times, but she kicks it off, kicks off her talks with some people will say I'm a person with autism, but I say I'm autistic. That's, that's what I am. It's like, cool. You get, you get to own who you are. That's cool. Mm -hmm. But until she gives me that permission, I approach mm -hmm. her and she's a person with autism. And, uh, and it's funny, as I was talking about that, how hard it was for me to not use that language because, <laughs> because we started with that training and it was, I, I don't know, I, I say, I say it's funny. It's not funny. It's remarkable how many people kind of walked out of that training with the attitude of like, well, that was dumb. Of course they're blah, blah, blah. You know, like that makes sense. But then over time, the people I work with went through that same journey where now like we almost can't do the other direct, you know? So it's like, it's yeah. an obvious apparent thing that you should do that. But then once you do it, you're like, wow, it's the opposite of what I do. Well, and I think it translates because yes, they got that training on the job, but when you go out into the real world, you yeah. go to the grocery store and people, you know, make their comments or say things, you start hearing it. And I'm not saying a reactionary person, my husband <laughs> likes to say I'm spirited, but you just pick up on these things. And especially if you know him, you're like, Hey, you feel compelled to make yeah. that change because I mean, it makes such a huge difference, not just for yourself, but for everyone around you. And especially the person 
who maybe for the first time is getting to be a person. Are you a business that is trying to find a new way to grow your brand? Consider sponsoring this podcast. Sponsorship range from social media logo posts to ads during the episodes. Sponsorships are a great way to get your message out to new audience while supporting the Mimosa community. Check out the options at thebravebear.com slash sponsorship for more details. Cheers, Mimosas. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. I want to rush through this next piece because you just hit, like you just hit it there. So the other thing I did was I, I worked with a, a group and every, every community has these organizations that um, put they, they have job coaches and, and, and peer support people, uh, the qualified, a lot of them are qualified rehabilitative facilities or QRFs. Um, that are, you can tell I work in, cause I, I have all the lingo with the acronyms, but um but reach out to these organizations. They are more than happy to provide training. And most states have a program that's called Employment First. It's a federal program that the states can, can administer. And Employment First is an organization that provides grant money to these job coach places and vocational rehab organizations to train us as employers on, on, on basically creating decent environments for people. And so we, we brought one of these groups in through Employment First to train my, my management team on how to manage people with IDD. And the big aha was, oh, wow. Um, yeah, we supervise them just like everybody else because they're people and you just uh, are situational to a person's needs, right? I think where we're very comfortable as a society talking about learning styles, right? Like, oh, I have to have this in a written way and an auditory way because people have different learning styles. That, that approach goes across supervision as well. And you can't just have your one way you supervise people. So we did those things. And then uh, the, the, what launched me into, you talked to ask about pipelines. And so I've actively worked to create a pipeline to actively recruit people with IDD into my organization. And the reason I did that is because there's this one person, I'll share one quick story of, of hers is so, oh, it's just amazing. Who, I mean, literally you said it, she wasn't allowed to be a person and she wasn't seen as a person her whole life, you know? So she went through special education in school, which is separate from most, you know, especially when she went through school, separate from everyone else. She'd never had a real job. She'd done a couple of volunteer stints, like at a food bank, things like, oh yeah, you can put food into a box kind of a thing. I hired her literally to open mail all day long, open mail. And it was the first real paid job she ever had. And so I wasn't her direct supervisor, but I had a lot of passion around what she was doing. And so I'd meet with her pretty regularly and just check in, see how things were going. And about two, three months into her working there, she's like, dude, I, I can't, I am going, I'm losing my mind, opening mail all day. This is so boring. I can do so much more. And I was like, oh my gosh, you've Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. Right. So, so we, we talked about what she had passions around what she wanted to do. She's promoted multiple times in our company now. And currently she's responsible for conducting background checks on people and was brought in just to open the mail and wasn't had prior to this had never been even considered for being capable of doing anything. And then the part that makes me feel like, wow, she's just a better person than I am in every way. She just got accepted into a master's program. She's going to get her master's in clinical social work 
and she wants and she wants to move to Chicago to provide services to at-risk youth. And this is a person who five, six years ago sat on a couch receiving a disability check and was defined by her disability and nothing more. And now, because I gave her a cruddy job <laughs> and she like grabbed the bull by the horns and went out and did it. And we were there to help support her and connect her to whatever there was. Like she's going to go make a, she's going to go save some kid's life, you know, as a result of that. And so like that just really motivated me where I'm like, how, how dare, how dare I as an employer not actively try to create this situation for every person that I interact with. And so I talk about creating a pipeline for people with IDD to come in. But the reality is I changed our recruitment process to create a pipeline where my recruitment process is more equitable and accessible to anyone. So I have a person who, who I've worked with in, in my organization, he uh, has quadriplegia. So his arms and legs don't work and is nonverbal. And he does data entry for his job. He has this adaptive device that he can use to, to type. And he is amazing. He rocks. It's so good. But he would not be able to compete for most jobs out there because he's nonverbal. And for every job in the world, for some reason, we feel like we have to do this question answer interview thing. I was like, I had a person we interviewed for data entry or data entry position many, many years ago before I was in a decision-making decision, decision-making position around it. And she started answering the questions and she just got flustered and embarrassed. And she just kind of tucked her head down and said, my, my, my life is data entry. And then she shut down and just didn't really talk anymore. We didn't. And then her resume backed that up. She had all these seasonal jobs, you know, doing, doing data entry work. We didn't hire her because she didn't answer the interview questions. And it's like, what? Like, here's a person custom built for this job and we're making her do a thing that has nothing to do with the job. So we changed our recruitment process to focus on showing us your capability to do or learn the job. I don't care if you can answer. Now, if you're like for my lobbyist positions, right? That are, yeah, I'm totally going to do a Q&A and I'm going to drop some bombs on you and I'm going to make you dance and do some stuff because that's your job. Mm -hmm. But if you're conducting background checks or you're the reception person or you know, you're opening mail, I don't care how good you are answering these made up questions about conflict resolution and your strengths and your blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Just show me you can do this and that you can be a member of a team and we can teach you how to do the rest. So that's what we've kind of done. And as a result now in this one organization where we process the mail, um, I think we're at just over 26, 27% of our total uh, total team have, de have a declared intellectual, developmental or physical disability. You know, I think one that's fantastic. There's um, a coffee shop back in North Carolina called Betty and Bo, and they created it literally so that Betty and Bo could have jobs. And now it's grown. And I don't know where all the locations are now, but it was such a cool thing because coffee was an everyday thing that everyone could see. And mm -hmm. When you go to the shop, you realize it's just like any other shop. I mean, you said so many great things in this, but well, the one profound line that you said was, you know, taking it situational. A lot of people, one, they may be intimidated due to their own ignorance, maybe, mm -hmm. or they just blanket, oh, well, this is their thing and everyone's got to just, just stay over there and create a routine for you once. And that's just the bubble you live in instead of being like person first. 
Mm-hmm. And then what would you do for a person? You would, okay, what, what are your passions? What are your likes? What are your dislikes? You know, what are some struggles you may have? What could I do to make it better? Now yeah. it could be where maybe for someone who doesn't have an outright disability, it may be, Hey, I could use whatever, like an, an extra hour to, you know, development time where they may say, could I have an extra stool to put my foot up? Like what of the two, like, you know, there, I mean, it is so simple and so easy, but if you aren't people first, you'll never have those conversations. If everything's just, Hey, blanket statement. You know, you talked about how in school, you know, kind of being off in the corner, kind of, you know, in their own classrooms and everything. But I feel like in a lot of organizations, they have a tendency of doing that too. Yep. Absolutely. It's easier. Yeah. Here's your space. Here's your, this instead of, and when you look at that from a teammate perspective, because I, and not to sound like a Karen here or sound super judgmental on my supervisors, it's, I will say it is incredibly difficult because I had the most amazing supervisor. Like he picked up the phone today and was like, Hey, I'm starting a trash business. Will you take out the trash? Which for the record, the trash people in our neighborhood are amazing and super nice guys. Um, but he would be like, I'll pay you three cents an hour. I would say, yep, I'm there. Like, let me get a vest on and I'll go work after working for someone like that. Your expectations are a little bit higher. You start to take things and I don't know if personally is the right way, but it's almost, you know, if you're in a situation and they're blanketing a group of individuals for disabilities or otherwise like, Hey, they just kind of go over in this corner, but here's the rest of the system and everything being different to me. That's also like, that is a huge supervisor and leadership flaw. And for me, I'm like, I don't know that you're worth me following. Yeah, that sounds well, it, but it's no, like, I, it, it sounds great true, because like, like I was talking about how we changed our interviews, but I, I also encourage when people go to interview, you need to look at your interview differently because exactly that is that a place you want to go work period. Yeah. And you're not going to know those things until you've gotten the job, right? Because normally like nowadays you're on a zoom call for your interview or you're in a little conference room or whatever, you don't see the real culture that's going on. And so I always encourage people to like, just ask really pointed questions of, of people in an interview. Cause it, it works two ways, right? They're interviewing you to see if you're a fit, but you should also be interviewing them to see if you're a fit, I think just a fundamental change in, 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 in the paradigm of when you're looking for a job, you're almost showing up, you know, hat in hand, hands out, like, please, please, sir, may I have another? It's it, no, no, you, you bring a lot to the table. They're desperate to have you on the team, make them work for it. Make sure it's a place you want to show up and you should after you have that great supervisor and you find and you're working for ones that aren't, you should take it personally. Because in my opinion, world according to Jeff here, it <laughs> is personal. And I think it's personally insulting. If I don't give you the platform where you can do great things and feel included and that you matter, that's me telling you as a person that eh, you kind of don't matter to me. Also, I think I'm better than you. Um, and and I, I sure as heck don't want to work for that person, you know? I had, um, I was interviewing some candidates with one of my jobs and they asked me what my leadership philosophy was. And then they asked me what I wanted to be known for in my job position. Wow, That's good. And I love it. I love it. I, you know, I, 
my last few jobs, I actually did that myself. And, you know, there's very telling things in interviews. Mm -hmm. You know, if the interviewer says I 20 times, it's going to be rough. It's going to be a red flag. That's a red flag. Yeah, it's a red flag. Um, but also if you ask them and they have no clue or won't even consider answering it, that to me is another red flag mm-hmm. because sometimes, you know, especially, you know, depending on, a, they may have never been asked that. So they may be taken aback, but at the same time, you know, kind of flipping the script, as you were saying this, how many times have you been in an interview and you've been gobsmacked by a question that you got, you know, um, I, and you have to like, okay, let me stop, think through, compose myself. That's a great question. Give me a second. And then you, you know, proceed with an answer. And I don't think it is terrible to expect the same out of someone who's giving you an interview, especially because at least for how the world is today, you're spending so much time with your coworkers and working. Like we, uh, there's a lot of times where we spend more time with our work people than than our our own families. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you want to make sure that they're adding value to your life, not just financially, but like adding to your, you know, wherever it is that you want to go, the lifestyle you want to have, the person you want to be, then taking away from it. If two people are in a boat and they're both paddling different directions. Yeah. You get nowhere. You just just get wet. That's all that. Yes. Yeah. Well, you talked about how you know, and, and, and I often feel guilty saying this, but the pandemic was a good thing in a lot of ways. Um, it's a t- terrible thing in a whole lot of ways, yeah. in, in a bunch of ways. But I think it just, just the way it changed how we looked at work in, in, mm-hmm. in so many pieces. And where, where now it, it is, it's, it, what's important is that we can work together, that we know what our, our ultimate goal Right. Like what, what, what are we working towards? Are we doing those things? Are we innovating with each other and, and doing those pieces? And I think that when you interview with someone or you're in an environment where it's just so, gosh, just all the things we were talking about, right. Where they have to see what you're doing. Uh, they, they, it's a one size fits all kind of a thing. And I think it's kind of where I was going. We're in the middle now, kind of at the tail end of organizations looking at forcing people to come back into the office. And there are situations, there are jobs where that, that makes sense, you know, to be there in person. Most of them have all been in person this whole time. I, when I talk to other, other leaders and I ask them, why, why are you forcing people to come back? It always comes to one little point, And that is, um, well, our, it's, it's hard to manage people remotely on there. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a manager problem, not a, not a worker yeah, problem. Like, yeah. Like, like, that sounds like a personal and professional yeah. individual problem, yeah. not a blanket. Yeah. And so it's like, maybe, maybe what you should, instead of forcing everyone to change their lives again, um, maybe you should just learn better, better skills. <laughs> because I think the other thing that the pandemic yeah. did was it, the concept of work-life balance is a joke now. Like it's anyone who, and, and this is, this might be a, a polarizing statement, but anyone who says that they're able to manage their work-life balance, and what, they're kidding themselves and everyone else. Um, there is no balance anymore. And I think that balance implies just by term balance, it's one or the other in there. And so I've really, really changed again, my language around stuff. And it's not about work-life balance. It's about personal and professional fulfillment. Am I fulfilled as a person? And so when I am interviewing for a job or I'm examining my current work environment, 
am I able to feel like I'm doing the things I want to do? Am I growing in the way that I want to grow? Am I challenged in the ways I want to be challenged? Or do I just show up every day, check a couple boxes, punch a clock, go home, you know, and turn off my computer and, and call it good. If you don't have fulfillment, you need to make it change. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think there was um, an episode in season one support in the workplace where, you know, I kind of talked like you need to be honest with yourself. And it's like, like we said, the small things earlier about like, oh, answering the phone oh this, you also need to keep in touch with your personal. Are you white knuckle driving into work? Like, are you crying on your yeah. way to the office? <laughs> like, stop, like, stop. There's there, you know, and one of the things that I talked to my husband, I was like, you know, some people absolutely love what they do. They wake up every morning and they're excited to go to work and they feel fantastic. And I was like, that's what I want for us. I'm like, it's not always about the dollar bottom line. Yes. You need to have some money to live on clearly. Right. But it's like, you can shop around until you find what's best for you because the companies will keep going. You know, you, you can make a huge impact. You can make a difference, but unless you like own a company outright yourself, like, you know, you can find another one and it's okay. It's okay to do that. Well, Jeff, we are coming to the end of our time, but I just want to say thank you. I know this episode is clearly for the Mimosa community, but man, I got a lot of it too. I've had a blast with you this morning. So thank you for joining me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. For all the Mimosas out there, I'm going to circle back to Jeff's quote, which is the proper function of a man is to live not to exist. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. And mimosas, feel free, check out uh, Jeff's podcast, the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Wherever you go to get your podcast, it's on there. Jeff teaches leadership, management, and other development skills through Star Trek. So I know I'm a fan, you guys will be too. So please make sure to check him out. Until the next episode, Please leave us some feedback on whatever platform you may be listening to this podcast on, as well as follow us on Instagram at goodmorningmimosas. Of course, send us an email at goodmorningmimosas.podcast at gmail.com. You literally never know who needs this mimosa community. So please consider sharing this with friends and family or anyone else who could use a spark of joy. Stay safe, stay healthy, and please keep sharing those sparks of joy. Cheers, mimosas.